Thank you, Deirdre, for the reading. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're in the middle of a series here in the Psalms, and some Psalms are a little bit up, more uplifting than others, and Psalm 88 is certainly a difficult Psalm for us to hear and to work through. I encourage you, if you're at home, to have the Psalm open in front of you and to be able to look through it as we talk about it and meditate on it. My Psalm 88 is really a profound. When you think about what this person is going through, what must be going on in their life to bring them to this place, to write this psalm, and then what would bring Israel to this place to sing this psalm and to be reminded of it is truly extraordinary. As we scan through Psalm 88 and you look at it, we see this person, this person, he or she has been crying out to the Lord for help day and night. This is not a new suffering, but a long-standing suffering. They're so weighed down with troubles that they are either actually close to death or they at least feel close to death because of the pain that they're going through. They are thought of by others and treated by others like somebody who is already dead, left for dead, and they are overwhelmed by the waves of their suffering. The suffering continues to pile on like waves battering on a shore. They are shunned and rejected by their friends. The psalm ends with even their beloved has left them in the midst of this suffering. They are suffering. They are forgotten, rejected, and alone crying out into the darkness over and over and seemingly getting no reply. It's truly a heartbreaking psalm to be in this position. And the psalmist does well to show us what the true pain is. Not just the suffering they're going through, but the pain of being rejected and abandoned of being forgotten in the midst of their pain by those closest to them and ultimately by God. For many, you know, this may be the first time that you've heard this psalm or read this psalm, and for many, it's an assuring psalm. It actually does provide a great deal of encouragement and comfort, mainly because for many of us, for the first time in our life, someone is willing to put words to our feelings. Someone in Scripture is giving us permission to blame God and to be honest about our suffering and the rejection in our life. Because for many of us, as we go through suffering or in a place of suffering, it's hard to find a place and a space to be honest about our suffering. The church historically has not been a good place to talk about one's suffering, nor has culture. In both places, you get a lot of sympathy, but then you get a lot of abandonment, and people quickly move on and don't want to be associated or be too close to the people who are suffering. Because suffering is viewed as something to be avoided, as something to not be reminded of. And so it's difficult to even speak the words that we truly feel. 
out of a fear of being rejected by those who are close to us. So when we read Psalm 88, someone is speaking the words that we long to speak as we all go through that dark night together. Someone is actually blaming God the way that we want to blame God. And the fact that it's scripture, that it's in the canon, gives us permission to feel the way that we're feeling and to say these words finally. For others, when we come to this psalm or we hear this psalm read, it frankly makes us fairly uncomfortable. How couldn't someone talk this way? <laughs> Why would this type of language, this type of prayer be encouraged? Why would this be a song that we would encourage the church to sing? Psalm 88 confronts our sensibilities of what it means to prosper, what it means to be blessed. It broadens our range of what it looks like to worship God. The Psalms have been promising us that if we meditate on the law day and night, if we walk faithfully with our God, that we will prosper, that we will be blessed. And then we read this, and it frightens us. It scares us because this might be us. And this is what we do when people are in suffering. We sympathize with them. We offer them help. And then in our hearts, we rejoice that it's not us. And we thank God that we've never gone through that same type of suffering. And we hope and pray to never go through that type of suffering. Psalm 88 really has two intentions for us as a church to be read and listened to. On the one level, Psalm 88 gives us permission. It gives permission to those who are suffering to be honest, to truly be honest, and gives a template for taking our fears and our pain to God. That in the midst of our dark night, we can cry out to the Lord, turning to the one true God instead of all the false gods out there that promise to heal us but never do. It also encourages those who are suffering to have an open hand with their suffering, to see that our suffering is serving a purpose, and it's not always a direct consequence of our sin. Now, many of us may, in fact, be encountering suffering that comes from our behaviors, but to not be so quick to blame ourselves or others for our suffering but to be open-handed with it enough to say, Lord, what are you using this suffering for? And the psalm is instructive in this sense for those who are in that dark night to help them to see their true fear, that their fear is not the suffering, but that their fear is being rejected and forgotten by the ones who they look to for love. It helps us to be honest with ourselves. And then on another level, the psalm encourages and confronts those in the church who are not suffering to broaden their picture of God's grace, to broaden their understanding of what the blessed life that's been promised throughout Scripture actually looks like. It calls the church to identify with 
those who are suffering, to actually speak the same words as someone else who is suffering. It calls to church, the church to see that suffering is not something to be avoided, but rather something that we will all experience. It's a psalm for a long, dark night, which many of us have experienced and which all of us will experience. Everyone in this world is either in a time of suffering like this, coming out of a time of suffering like this, or about to go into suffering like this. It cannot be avoided. And Psalm 88 calls us to be honest about ourselves, about others, about God, and about our hopes in this life. The psalm really does make us uncomfortable. And the psalms really function in this way purposely. Worship in general often makes us uncomfortable. It can be hard to sing things because it really causes us to think about if we really believe the things that we are singing, if we feel the way that we're saying we feel. And Psalm 88 really functions as a mirror for where we're putting our hope. And the response that we have to this psalm and the way that we react with it really reveals what we truly believe in our hearts. It reveals what we believe about ourselves, and it reveals what we believe about God. The reason we don't sing this way the reason we don't often cry out the way that the psalm does is because we have a wrong belief about ourselves. It's easy to believe that we are in control of our suffering. I can deal with whatever suffering I encounter in my life. I have the strength to do this. I can buck up. I can find help. I can do this. I can fix my suffering. Or, I can fix the suffering of others. Suffering is momentary, and I have the power to handle it. Why would I call out to the Lord when I can control it? Why would I blame God for my suffering either? Because I ultimately blame myself for my own suffering, or I blame others for my suffering. Now, like I said, you may, in fact, be dealing with the consequences of your sin or the consequences of another sin that has led to our suffering. But who do you ultimately believe is in control of your life? Who you blame shows who you believe has power. We have a high view of ourselves and our control of our lives and our control of our suffering and a low view of God. And with that view of God, this psalm also reveals that we often think of him as a very distant and authoritative father who just hands out rewards and punishment and punishment to his children. That he rewards those who do well and he punishes people who do bad. Which leads us to believe that we deserve the suffering that we go through or that others deserve the suffering that they go through, or that we, re we deserve the time of prosperity and blessings in our life without suffering, and that others deserve 
to go through those seasons without suffering as well. We think to ourselves, if they would just get right with God, their suffering would end. We think that to ourselves as well. If I could just get back, if I could just get myself right with God, all of this would end. He would stop punishing me. Or we view it as suffering to teach us a lesson. And it certainly does. But we often think, if I can just learn this lesson, it will be over. I would never speak to God this way because he'll punish me more. Right? Who would cry out to a distant father who holds punishments and rewards that he gives punishment to those who are good or to who are bad and he gives punishment to those who are bad and rewards to those who are good? Who would cry out to him and complain and blame him? You'll just get more punishment rather than blessing. It's a, it comes from a misunderstanding of God's law and a misunderstanding of who he is. In isolation, Psalm 88 offers some level of comfort. It gives us permission to cry out, and it gives us a way of identifying with each other and with those who are in suffering. But it's ultimately a cold comfort if all you have is Psalm 88. Suffering is a part of life, we all experience it, and we have the permission to be honest about it. But those underlying fears of the psalm remain unanswered in Psalm 88. The psalmist just cries out and blames God and asks if his faithfulness will extend to the dead, if his faithfulness will ever abandon him. But how do we know what the answers to these questions are? The unresolved questions and hope of Psalm 88 only find their fulfillment ultimately in Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law that the Psalms have been directing us to meditate on and to put our hope in. The law has been promising. From the very beginning of the Bible, there's been the promise of a king, of a savior, of someone who will come and who will put everything right who will rule over this world with justice and who will administer wisdom, who will give us the teaching that we need, who will give us the comfort that we need, who will wipe away every tear. This has been the hope of all people since time began, that one day the long night will be over and the dawn will rise. And in Jesus Christ, this long-awaited king comes. But the long-awaited king didn't just come and live the life that we all want and then tell us that we should do the same, and then we would experience peace, acceptance, and blessing. That's what we would expect. That's what everyone expects of a Messiah, of a Savior, someone to come and show the way, to give a program to show you what you need to do to get out of your suffering and to find the blessing. He didn't come and preach to the poor and to the sick and to the suffering. But rather, 
Jesus Christ came and he lived the life we were all meant to live. But instead of experiencing the blessings that should come along with that, that were promised all the way through scripture, that if you live in this way, pleasing the Lord, walking with him, you will experience the blessings. Instead of experiencing that, he experienced the suffering that we all experience and deserve. Jesus Christ went through the long, dark night, alone, abandoned, rejected, broken, counted as dead. He did descend to the pit, was rejected by his beloved and closest friends, even abandoned by God on the cross. He cries out day and night to the Lord, and the Lord did not answer him. But why? The one person who deserved to never be abandoned or rejected, who actually deserved life and not death, experienced rejection and death. He was abandoned so that we will be accepted. He experienced the rejection from his family so that we would be welcomed into his family. Unlike every other savior, every other God, every other philosophy of this world that promises that if you do something, you will get something, Jesus secured for us everything and took our suffering on himself. This changes everything. We now read Psalm 88 in light of the gospel. Psalm 88 is easily a psalm that Jesus was praying that night in the garden as he was waiting for his death, crying out to the Lord, already rejected and abandoned by his friends. It easily becomes the prayer of Job in the Old Testament. Psalm 88 corrects our view. The gospel informs us in how to interpret this, and it corrects the view that we have of ourselves and of God. In light of the gospel, I can't control my life. I can't control the blessing. I can't control the suffering. I can't control anything. I can't earn my reward, and I can't earn an escape. And in light of the gospel, we can see that God uses suffering for his glory time and time again. And the gospel reminds us and shows us that no matter the level of suffering, I will never be rejected. I will never be alone. No matter what level of rejection and abandonment I experience in this life, and we all will, and we all do, I will never truly be alone. Because it corrects, the gospel corrects this wrong view of God that we so too easily have. God is not a distant father that doles out punishments and rewards. 
It's easy to believe that coming out of the Old Testament if you don't understand the Pentateuch, if you don't understand the law. And that's why the psalmist continually to impress upon us to truly study the law and to meditate on the law. And often when we hear this, especially in religious circles, we think that means to meditate on, be sure to do what is right. If I just follow God's law, he'll reward me because that's what it promised in the Bible. And if I don't do what is right, he'll punish me. I don't want to end up like the wicked. I don't want the punishments. But then Jesus Christ comes and he ultimately fulfills that promise by taking the reward meant for the righteous and giving it to us, the wicked, and taking the punishment meant for the wicked upon himself. So God is no longer this distant father who just gives out punishments and rewards, but rather a God who intimately knows us, who sent his son to experience every suffering that we experience and to give us life. He knows you in your suffering. He loves you in your suffering. The fact that God knows the suffering that we go through is truly amazing. Every other religion has the Savior escaping the suffering and then leading the way for us all to follow. Christianity's God enters into the suffering so that we can know him and know his love in our suffering. He turns suffering into a path to glory. God becomes, rather than the person to avoid in our suffering because we're afraid of punishment, now God becomes exactly the person to turn to in the midst of our pain and our suffering because he knows you and he knows the suffering that you're experiencing. Psalm 88 helps to lift us up in our suffering and turn to Christ. And it helps all of us to properly see our lives, the role of suffering, and to put our faith and trust in Jesus more and more. Let me pray.